Oh, you, you hear that? You hear that sizzle? That's some... Uh, Is it a Buffalo Eats pole? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's some vegetables. Oh, baby. We got some vegetables cooking today. Roasted, buttery. That's right. Delicious yeah, vegetables. We're going we're gonna to smother it in cheese as much as possible. Mm. Ooh, that's good. Ooh. We yeah. just had donuts, and now I'm hungry again. Yeah, you want... You want a vegetable donut? I want a ve- vegetable donut. How would you even make that? Well, I don't know. They put bacon on donuts now. So, oh yeah, I guess it's yeah, just true. ground up beets deep fried. Yeah, that might be good. Probably would be. Yeah, that sounds actually sure. Good. Red velvet beet cake. Yeah. I don't know. It's deep fried. Deep fried. Yeah, mm-hmm. that solves all the problems. Mm-hmm. Well, we are uh, eating our our deep fried delicious vegetables today with me, Re, and Jim, and Snake. And our guest this week, Jeff Kelly from Investigative Post. Jeff, what's up, brother? I am happy to be here. How are you all? Jeff, you're starting to like fill out the punch card. You're going to get a free I sandwich. I well, I'm I'm hoping that there'll soon be like a like my own coat hanger like right inside the door, <laughs> just for me. Okay. I walk in one day and someone else's coat will be there, and I'll be like, what the. F-? who who, who is this (laughs) we'll get you that good coat rack yeah that's right so guys you know we we got the we got the whole crew here in the snake pit this week plus jeff been a few weeks hasn't it we yeah we've been you know operating on skeleton crews here and there yeah holding down the fort uh but we're all here and boy is it a good week to have everybody here Mm -hmm. because as it turns out there's a lot going on let's start here jim with uh with the snow plows well, see, you know, here's the thing is that I live in the suburbs right now, and so everything was plowed. So oh, I, as far as I could tell, look at you. There, was, <laughs> oh, wow. there, there was no issues. Episode over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, I mean. Well, let me step in then. Yeah, I live on the lower west side of Buffalo <laughs> on a one-way street that goes one block. How many plows do you think I see in a, in a season? <laughs> That's right, that many. We're not even, when you look at the, the annual snow plan, you know, there's primary streets, there's secondary streets. We're not on, even on the secondary street list. We're just, we just sort of fall into other, you know. Yeah. So we don't get plowed a lot, general, generally. But this, it's under the good luck column. Yeah, but yeah. this last storm was particularly uh, egregious, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm right over by, I'm right near Klein Hands, and like good luck you know like good, good luck trying to drive get your car out it even though it's like a main road over there it doesn't matter there were plenty of pictures and videos of cars ambulances <laughs> you know like all sorts of uh of, of vehicles getting stuck in the snow at a time like it's not like we are unaware that this was going to happen it's not like the city of buffalo that we're not you know some Someplace in Virginia that this is just new to yeah. us. Uh, newsflash, it snows in Buffalo. Yeah, you know, and this, we're not unprepared. And uh, as I just mentioned, I was reading the snow plan. You know, every year the DPW files with the council uh, a plan saying, you know, this is what we got. This is what we do. Uh, you know, the, it's just a plan, right? And it, I don't know how many pages it is, too many. But a, a long part of that plan is a list of all the snow fighting equipment the city has and it's it's a lot it's a lot of vehicles it's like there's like 70 odd vehicles that have plows on them then there's some high lifts and there's some trucks for just doing i don't know for tooling around and supervising i suppose but there's a lot of vehicles and i'm looking at that and at the same time i'm reading like tuesday night mike DeGeorge, spokesman for the mayor is telling the buffalo news things are going to be okay i know school's closed tomorrow but we you know we've got 30 or 40 trucks out there 
plows out there trying to give every street a second pass. And first I was laughing because I was like, a second pass? <laughs> I'm like looking out my window saying, I, you know, I look forward to a second pass in March. <laughs> but, uh, but I also saw 30 or 40 plows out there. I'm looking at a list of 70. What's going on here? You know, maybe he misspoke. Maybe, but maybe they don't have enough drivers. I don't know. Uh, 30 of those cars, uh, plows became sentient. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, and they moved to Florida. They moved to Florida. Yeah, they were but, like, I'm not paying these taxes anymore. Right. They're like, they're, they're, uh, I want to live with Mike Caputo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Speaking, speaking of sentient uh, objects, oh, who's the shovel? Who's the shovel guy on Twitter? Does anybody know? Is that, is that Fat Casper Byron Brown again or what? Have you seen this, Jeff? I have not seen that. Oh, there's some account that's like shovel of Western New York, and they like go around and just you know bitching about the snow in the city, which uh, it's a fair thing to, to bitch about. What one of the things I liked about I saw uh, I think it was DeGeorge said that like the county was helping out in the city, right? And he said that the plows of the county had were too small to go down the side streets. I was like, what do you, what does that even mean? First of all, like they're big enough, they have plows on them. Did you, did you see the Ben Carlisle tweet in response to the county helping out with plows? Oh. <laughs> what did he say? We, we don't want those interlopers here. We don't, yeah, we don't, are they coming with mask mandates? Something about Mark pulling cars, like ke- keeping his business out of your, uh, the city of Buffalo or whatever. Oh my god! Yeah, his imperialness or whatever. I don't is know he aware that the city of Buffalo is located within the county of Erie? I'm not sure what he's aware of. <laughs> well, we've given Mayor Ben enough oxygen, so. Yeah. That's enough on on that front. I went Buffalo viral recently, which is like a hundred likes on Twitter, saying "Don't talk about that shitty guy who ran for mayor." And I stand by it. And if you think it's if you think it's about uh, you know Mayor Ben, you're right. If you think it's about Byron Brown, you're definitely right. But if you think it's about Jazz Miles, you're wrong. We need to talk about Jazz Miles more. <laughs> we need we need to juice that yeah. man. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. Look, we uh, it's it's amazing that. The city of Buffalo, the city of Buffalo, of all places, does not have the capacity or the willingness to get all of their trucks or all of their uh, snow fighting equipment removal out there. Now, what are your thoughts, guys, about this being perhaps somewhat punitive by Mayor Brown? Notably, I I don't think Byron Brown operates like that, right? Like he's not vindictive or maybe a little upset at the West Side for, you know, not voting for him. I mean, look, I think that that's always something to be said with probably all of our mayors in the last like 40 years, but especially this mayor that he is petty and maybe there would be something to be that. But like this was such a systemic failure across the board. Like it's not like people were like rejoicing in South Buffalo or Councilmatic North where he won handily and they were like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. No, like, North was terrible. North too. was terrible. Like people were like, like I, I, I like I'm stuck in Riverside. I can't I can never leave. I can never like I can never move like it's. Uh, like you thaw me out in the year three thousand, and I'll finally be able to get out of here. Um, so I don't. I there's probably something to that, but I think there is some other larger failure. Um, luckily, you know, we voted for, or somebody voted for, not me, the person with experience to run government in November, <laughs> and not the person who was inexperienced. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I think you always go to like when some when there's a failure, you're. Your default should be incompetence, and then after that, corruption and vindictiveness or things like that. And, and I think if we need any further evidence that it's, it's got to be just evidence that things are falling apart, it's this. So we, we started the week with a big snowstorm that it turned out we were totally unprepared to clean up after, or totally incapable of cleaning up after. 
And it ended with the heat going out in City Hall on Friday. <laughs> wow. Like the heat failed. And, you know, and, and folks were like texting me like, like, oh, no, yes, the DPW or the Division of Building says it's fixed. It was like it was called like a faultless conductor or something. I was like, I think that's not faultless. <laughs> but but I, I was texting back to a friend saying, saying, hey, uh, good news, your heat is back on. And my friend texted back saying, I have my hands on my stone cold radiator. I will not, I will not be gaslit. There's no heat <laughs> in this building. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I don't want to be like, I'm as left as they come, but I, I feel like I'm pretty progressive, you know, socialist adjacent, whatever. But I could see why people go like full libertarian sometimes. I'm like, what the fuck is the purpose of what is your job? What is it that you do here? City of Buffalo. Oh, get, like Gadsden Flagry over here. Here it is. I'm well, here it's time. He'll turn. Well, if the hero of the storm is is a independent branded pickup truck with a plow <laughs> driving around saying, Hey, who needs who needs help? Right. Like maybe it's time to go libertarian. Maybe there it's all, we're all out what, for yeah. ourselves. I, I when I saw that, my thought process was like, thank God it doesn't snow in Silicon Valley, or else we'd have like Uber for snow plows. You're right. Um, Uber for snowplow. Don't give anybody ideas. You've just <laughs> you spoke evil into the world here, Jim. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. Like people, like like so so Oxford Pennant. That's God bless you know bless their hearts. That's awesome. They're going around helping people, and and then folks are chiming in saying this is what we need more of. Neighborhoods taking and individuals taking responsibility for this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Only, this is why we have a government. It's why yeah. we have society. It's why we organize ourselves. If only there were a way we could collectively. <laughs> Put money together and pay for a reliable service. <laughs> right. I, if only. How would we determine how much each person gives? Yeah, yeah. God, there's so much to think about. Yeah. Well, one person who's advocating for personal responsibility, who thinks we're all just, you know, big babies and uh, we can't fend for ourselves, that would be Councilmember Ulysses Wingo had some interesting comments about uh, our, our our coddled little buffalo <laughs> society here. Uh, what, what do you say, Jim, about the... Did you see this? I saw it. I'm, whatever. He's a shithead. I, like, <laughs> I don't have a direct quote, but... All right. We're, we're done here. And moving on. <laughs> moving on. I mean, no, it's he. Uh, you know, he basically said like you you can't blame anybody in government or politics yeah. for the failure to plow the streets or clear the if, sidewalks. If India Walton were mayor, what would you say? If the if the if the situation was the same, oh yeah, I mean, right, right. This is why we should impeach her now. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Well, you know, I, I will say that that before, like, at, so after India won the primary, but before the general. Uh, I was talking with an elected official about her campaign and about her prospects. And he said, you know, and we were talking about the need to get ready. Like the summer should have been spent like creating a plan to govern, you know, instead she of course had to run and, and eventually lose. But he was saying, yeah, cause the thing is one big snowstorm in January and the, and the streets won't get cleared because they don't get cleared. And that could ruin her first term. It mm -hmm. could doom her. So she's got to be prepared. One big snowstorm could ruin a term of a mayor. And yet, uh -huh. <laughs> maybe just some mayors. Maybe just, just first time. Not all mayors. Just some mayors. Yeah. Well, well, uh, not all mayors. I, not all mayors. Because uh, I, I saw uh, somebody on Twitter. Um, I think it was Drew Ludwig was like, mm taking pictures of cars stuck in the snow. He said, we should do this and write down Byron Brown's name. And I was like, careful, he counsels for next election. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and credit, hey, credit to India, by the way. I know she was reading, uh, leading, excuse me, like her uh, little rogue coterie of uh, snow removal herself and 
you know, she's doing her thing. But again, we need a functioning city government to do that. Not, not well-meaning uh, groups of people. But moving on, uh, more, in fact, more systemic failure. So here's a little update for the listeners. I got yelled at last week after last week's episode where I said, I don't give a shit about the Great Northern. I just didn't care, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, a lot of smart people yelled at me and they said, you should care. And here's why. And we have somebody here who, in Jeff, who who also told me why I should care. And we had a little uh, interesting conversation before the show. So, guys, sell me on why I should give a shit about this old building falling down. What's 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 the hook? The hook is that you can't let private businesses and city government get away with letting buildings like this, whether they are giant, iconic, landmarked historical structures like the Great Northern. Or, uh, or you know, or, or for, city hall where they don't or, respect or that. Or city hall where the heat goes out <laughs> in the middle of a cold snap. Or, uh, or a four-unit apartment, or a two-unit apartment building, or a twelve-unit apartment building. You can't let these businesses get away with allowing things to fall to pieces. It's a danger. It costs our architectural legacy. It it destroys entire blocks. It, it causes health problems for the people who live there. It's just wrong. And the city is complicit because we have a sort of slapdash code enforcement program that, in the case of the Great Northern, one inspection in 30 years. This is a building that was landmarked before it was purchased, which its historical significance is really inarguable. You know, you, you can care about that significance or not. But the fact is, it is this prime example of this particular kind of structure the only one left in the country, I think, certainly the only one left here, and one of the first of its kind. So it's kind of important. And this company deliberately let it fall apart because they didn't want it. They wanted to knock it down from the beginning. They knew it was landmarked, but they bought it anyway in order to knock it down. And they never did anything significant to shore it up. And the city let them. The city allowed that building to continue to fall to pieces. And that shouldn't be permitted. It shouldn't be permitted for a billion-dollar company or for you know, a, a landlord, whether local or in New York City. We like to demonize these New York City landlords, but we have plenty of them here who rent out buildings that have no windows, no functioning heat, that have only cold water, that have lead everywhere. And what do we do about it? Very, very little. And so a situation like the Great Northern, it should be a window onto these failures, really, and not, we can't let them get away with it because if they do, they just keep getting away with it. Yeah, that was kind of my point. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, you know, my thing with this is like, I, yeah, I understand this, like the historicness of the structure. It's still tough for me to totally care about it, but I don't want to give ADM and the city a free pass on just ignoring buildings and letting them fall apart because then you do set some sort of precedent where you're just like, I guess, like, unless we're actively caring about the building all the time, the city gets to just decide by default which ones they let fall apart when the city should be doing their fucking job. I mean, they should be plowing the streets and inspecting buildings. In the ca case of the Great Northern, you know, so, so for, the ins for the inspections department, they're like, well, you know, we're short-staffed. We can't possibly be that proactive that we're out looking at every building. I don't know if that's really true. Other cities have ways of doing sort of strategic enforcement and in fact, the city has received grants to create such a program, but I don't think they have. But in the case of the Great Northern, because they were making a case since the day they bought it to demolish it, they would come to the city with like a list of 
why it's falling apart and why they can't fix it and say, you got to let us knock it down. And the city several times said no, but they didn't do anything then with that self-reported violations. They could have said, no, you can't knock it down. But since you've told us you're in violation of our code, six ways from Sunday, fix that all. Or we're going to find you. We can find you every day. You know what else we could do? We could hire people <laughs> to do the work and then charge you for it and put a lien on the property. That's all within the city's legal abilities. They could do that not just with the Great Northern. They could do that with any apartment building that isn't up to code. They can fix the problem and charge the landlord. Sounds like a great way to make money. Maybe a better way than, um, you know, traffic cameras. Well, you know, it's, it, it's not terrible because, you know, it used to be that the city was reluctant to to put liens on property and end up in possession of them because they ended up being basically a clearinghouse of valueless properties. But now, thanks to the Renaissance, <laughs> property values are pretty, are a lot higher. And, you know, it's not that if, for example, the city had ended up seizing the Great Northern from ADM, which they're not going to do, but if they, if they had done that, that's a pretty valuable piece of developable property right now. Down on Ganson Street on the waterfront, you could you could do something with that. Uh-huh. Now, Reem, our fans kind of expect at this point stupid opinions from me. But you? From me? No. From no, me. they expect more from you than me. Oh, no, I'm going to uh, go full Joe Rogan. I'm oh. going to be like the dumbest guy in the show now. Oh, uh, that's that's my role. Oh, n- nope, I'm sorry. I gotta lean. I'm a libertarian <laughs> guy now. I'm going to take ivermectin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it all, baby. Full heel turn. Okay. The pl- but the placard underneath my coat my coat hanger says dumbest guy. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Maybe I've been using the wrong one. Yeah, you've been using the wrong uh, coat hook there. Right, that's why that one's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, you know, with this whole story, I guess I was, I was put off a bit because I, whenever I see like the preservationist type arguments, my eyes glaze over. That's my personal bias that I felt for a long time that the preservationist stuff ended up like capturing the grip of the zeitgeist here in Buffalo for so long. So I just again tune out. But yeah, Jeff, this is a compelling point where you have like city government just completely abdicating its duty and and likely with a financial incentive in mind at some you know like they're going to let this building fall apart and then maybe somebody buys the lot and they build on it and the city can you know get money from Sinatra or whoever the the cycle the keeps well, going around well what they're afraid of what what they have been afraid of what mayor Byron Brown is afraid of right now is that ADM says Screw this. Our, our accountants have looked at the, at the future costs of maintaining, of carrying this site. You're not playing ball with us. We're out of here. We don't have to be here. And costs however many hundred jobs there are at that milling operation. No elected official wants to be the person who loses any jobs, not even like a dozen jobs at a Starbucks, right? Let alone like the, one of the last big operations on the waterfront. I don't think that's going to happen. But I understand why they'd be afraid to do that. Well, and it's just like, what else are they letting, like, what else are they not inspecting? What else are they letting fall by the wayside, like you said? Lots. Uh, and it's, it's just crazy to think about, you know? And again, back to the top of the episode here where we talked about the city can't even plow the streets. And, you know, how, how confident do you feel that they're going to check for lead in, in the buildings or, you know, it's... I don't know. Again, I don't. I'm. I, I'm only half joking when I'm saying I'm going to go full libertarian. But truly, the city of Buffalo has just been massively uninspiring and 
Ah, God, everything about this Byron Brown administration just sucks. It just well, sucks so bad. I mean, you know, real quick, I like part of the reason why is like, you know, now, yeah, he's been on the job for 16 years. But like, you know, people was saying, oh, well, I don't want to vote for India because she doesn't have any experience doing this. He was a state fucking senator. Right. He had like maybe maybe at most like six staff members and his chief of staff actually probably did most of this work anyways. He had no experience in putting all this stuff together and he, and he doesn't have any interest in learning how to do it. So we're 16 years later and he's just, you know, thumb fucking his way through the job. Well, that was a bit heavy, guys. You know, we, we got all worked up, worked ourselves up into a lather here. But, uh, you know, in, in local news, we got some some sad some sad news in a couple couple different areas here. First is the Allentown Bubble Man. The Allentown Bubble Man passed away. There's some reports, Jeff, that he he might be might have been problematic in the uh, in his life. Yeah, might have been cancelable. I, I, I think I think uh, I think some folks I know had some uh, rather strained relations with him. He was a proud veteran, proud Navy veteran, and so he didn't care much for people of his age who had been. Uh, Vietnam protesters. Mm. So, uh, in particular, there, there's a pretty well-known uh, Vietnam protester in town who just the, the two of them, like if they saw each other on the street, it turned into like a. <laughs> they were just cussing at each other. So I think he could be surly and unpleasant, okay. but he was also he did this lovely thing, right? And he was also very kind to a lot of other people. I think the coffee shop he hung out with at the intersection just up the street, uh, he was much loved there. And, you know, that's just, I don't know. I think, it, like, whoever rents that apartment, there should be, like, a there should be like a clause in the lease that says, you know, here's the bubble wands. So he, he kind of manually did it with a fan, but they make bubble machines now. You, could, e- you could easily yeah. set up a bubble machine there yeah. and keep the tradition going. I would, I would just overload a, a washing machine and put it in the window. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good idea, too. Maybe that's something city government could do. That seems about their speed. Right. Yeah. Just, well, never yeah. inspect my apartment with my washing machine right in the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, f- the floor is rotting. Right. And you, you might fall through it maybe next week because of all the water, but... Mm-hmm. You know, there's bubbles blowing out. Right. Well, we're we're not going to cancel the bubble man on the show. Who, by the way, uh, Charles Chuck in Corvea, I think I read what his name is. Um, we're not we're not going to cancel the bubble man on the show for whatever reason. I, I, not to get too not to be too much of a mush, but I mean, it really, man, like that little bit of splendor in that neighborhood really sort of defines Allentown. You know, even if if it's your first time going down Allen Street and all of a sudden like you just see bubbles. On the street, I, I remember being like a teenager from South Buffalo who is seeing this for the first time, like, wow, this is a whole other place. You know, like the city, there is a bit of, of wonder, a bit of magic here. And, you know, it, it was just one guy with the fucking fan in the window doing it. And yet it impacted the whole community to think like, wow, Allen is a place that has an identity. And and he very one one person doing a small act very much made it feel like a, an identity for the community. So pour one out for Chuck. Um, also pour one out for a uh, popular rock band. Every time I die, there was a not very amicable split recently between um, Keith Buckley and the rest of the band. Um, very ugly. Got to the lawyers, got to Twitter. I know that they had been talking about breaking up before and then they came back together for the, the tid the season concert over Christmas. I think they, powered through it and now they're they're kaput yep moving on to other things 
Well, I, I, I would just like to add for those of you who might not recall, Keith Buckley was for a while an advice columnist for the public. Yeah, I yes, that. yes, it, it was quite an experience being his editor. <laughs> it was uh, unpredictable, but yeah. good. Really good. Yeah, the only thing I want to say about that is like that Ted the Season show, it is a big deal. Like I've got I've got plenty of friends from not from Buffalo who will would come to Buffalo for that show. Like it, it really has every time I die really does have like large cultural purchase um outside the area and, and really that show in particular is a big draw and people love every time I die. Uh so it does it does feel a little bit like, you know, it, it it's it's gonna be a loss it's felt, I think. Maybe, maybe someday, if they're feeling it, they can do a rooftop concert on top of the uh, grain elevator. <laughs> if, if there's one left. Well, right. One last hurrah. Yeah. Would you want to be on top of one of those elevators? No, I don't think I would. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's going on in the Cuba base camp, Jim? We've got some Cuba developments. Yeah, we got New York. Uh, Cuba good, news. good news in Cuba. Uh, uh, let's start with the first one. Uh, the Giant, which we've talked about on the show before. because they, they great, do, great grocery store. Great grocery store. Just, it. Uh, mm. uh, it's, it was an independently owned, family owned store. Um, they had an in-house butcher. They had uh, a meat selection and a beer selection and and a vegetable selection that were much too nice for being like in like Cuba. You know, it really, it was a remarkable little grocery store there. Purchased well, still is still is purchased by Market in the Square, mm-hmm. which they kept Budways going right. Yeah, in Tonawanda. So it seems like they're going to carry that torch. Mm-hmm. It's not going to. It's not going to be like oh, I'm going to. Cheapen the products, cheapen the uh, experience. No, I mean it's if you if if you were looking if you are somebody from Cuba or who or shops at that Cuba store because you live in I don't know Portville or whatever the fuck, then you should be happy that Market the Square is taking. I I love Market in the Square. It's 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 a big yeah. I'm a big fan of them too. So don't you like the seafood salad? I did like the seafood salad. It was a pretty good. Pretty one. good. Yeah. Uh, then the other Cuban news is that they got. I saw this morning right before I got here. Even our lovely governor was tweeting about this. That there's a big snow sculpture of Josh Allen in front of the uh, former horse stables slash ostrich farm. How big is it? So big. No, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's they, at least as big as a horse, right? It's bigger than uh, well, yeah, what horse? Like a Shetland or a uh, Clydesdale? I, well, I would say Clydesdale. It, it is Maybe there's one underneath there that's going to surprise Allen's us. Josh kind of a Clydesdale. Oh, yeah. I would Clydesdale. say. I would say he yeah. can he can kick a field goal too if he tried. I bet. Uh, oh, yeah. probably. Just like that <laughs> Budweiser commercial. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's 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 considerably large like you know they because they had the picture of the guy who framed or put it together or well carved it out of snow i guess yeah um and you know he's not a small guy he's probably like 5 10 240 and he's fairly dwarfed by the size of this snow sculpture that he has and it's it's a pretty good likeness of josh allen mm-hmm. and last time somebody in the south southern tier tried to do a likeness of a famous person we got that we got that lucy statue <laughs> yeah, right. it's been fixed since it's been fixed which which curiously looked a lot like josh allen oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes well that was the uh, that was the cuba corner mm-hmm. so that all, all the updates uh, our listeners are looking for out of the Southern Tier. Uh, you did mention uh, the governor, though, Jim. We got some updates on the governor's race. Bill de Blasio, the debungler, mm-hmm. out. Not running. Not no. doing it. He's, that was your guy, Ree. Yeah. He was my... Well, this was before I, I realized that Kathy Hochul had just the firm her, grip. Her grip's too strong. Her grip... She's got amazing grip strength. Uh, you know, she probably does great pull-ups. Deadlifts. Deadlifts, yeah. yeah. She's... 
probably like jacked. Uh, but she, no, she has like just the chokehold on all the fundraising. Pretty much, I think she's cornered all of Cuomo's money people and is like, hey, I can do this minus the baggage of Andrew Cuomo. Keep me around. No, I mean, her fundraising, I, you know, we're going to talk about the financials shortly, but we're, we're going to ignore the statewide candidates. Uh, but you know, if you did see, because people like city and state or like have, have covered this much better than I would want to cover it anyways. But Kathy raised like 22, she's got $22 million, $22 million. Like she raised like 18 and a half in yeah. the last cycle. Just obscene amount of money. Yeah, and from all the usual suspects, all the big downstate real estate interests, uh, mm. uh, medical sector, uh, financial insurance, all that, all the people who traditionally just pour money into statewide campaigns, they've just migrated perfectly comfortably to Kathy Hochul. Yep. Now, is it? Let me ask you, Jeff. Is it at all surprising that Kathy Hochul was as a you know as a upstate New York? representative or whatever for so long like is it surprising at all that she was able to transition so seamlessly or has this just been a long time coming where she's built she's been building it as lieutenant governor she's been making those sort of connections and representing Cuomo right in uh to some degree in those circles so so it's pretty straightforward for her to say well now now I'm representing me you know it's it's a before she was lieutenant governor, it would be unthinkable or at least difficult. But she had that period as lieutenant governor in which she could make those connections, and she did. Yeah, no, I mean, look, on a certain level, you look at all the money in politics, and it just makes you want to vomit. And I, I certainly feel that way. I do feel a twinge of, like, good for her. You know, like, I, I, again, we don't want to do downplay that Kathy Hochul is New York's uh, first uh, woman governor. And good for her that she's able to navigate these spaces so well at which i think we kind of look past as like hey she is a woman in office like we're, we're a very we're a bunch of dudes here so yeah. we, we don't really think that direction but she is like and i'm not saying like oh girl boss kathy hochel but at the same time like she is navigating it she is able to go in those rooms to you know get that kind of fundraising and i mean there, a credit to her, even even in the fallen world that we live in, that she's able to navigate it. Like, all right, I, I got to hand it to her. Mm -hmm. so it looks like she uh, she had some positive news this week with the uh, budget, the the money windfall from the federal government. Right? What it looked like a bunch of school funding is is going to go up, that type of thing. I know we don't have it on the board. But yeah, no, it's I just, yeah. That. I thought the average school district should expect like a ten percent increase in funding from the state. Mm. Um, so a lot of social spending in this, budget, right? I right? mean, it, she's she's getting the both the best of both worlds. If you're if it's a year that you're running for office, she she's got more money than she knows what to do with, which most doesn't happen with the states very often, especially New York State. Um, so she's able to increase spending on certain programs, one off. She, she's not making a lot of uh, annual expenses with this. But it happens to be an election year, so it's a perfect timing for her. Um, but she, and then she's also able to do some tax rebates or, or tax refunds or cuts for people. So people are gonna be like, "Oh, I get more services, and I don't have to pay as much as taxes here." This Kathy Hochul, she's she's a genius. Right? <laughs> she she also, by the way, gave substantial uh, funding increases to the office of the state comptroller and the office of the state attorney general. Both two political rivals of hers, right? Mm. Who are who have opted not to run for governor. Mm. So, you know, curious, <laughs> smart. Wonder how that that is. It is very smart. 
Well, I think that's a good uh, good pivot here, guys, to our, our our vegetable vegetables, our roasted buttery goodness here. Mm-hmm. We are looking at the financials, which longtime listeners of the show know that we like to do the deep dives on the campaign financials. Why? Because we're sick in the head. You find some interesting things in there. Mm-hmm. You might find some drama, some hot gossip every night. The hot goss. We are all yeah. about the hot goss. Uh, but yeah, we're a bunch of sickos and freaks for it. We love it. We can't get enough of it. But it is interesting. And look, I get it. You see like, oh, campaign fundraising or whatever. And maybe your eyes roll in the back of your head. Maybe, you know, your tongue just wags out. You're like, oh, I don't care. But I think we all agree here, gentlemen, that it is important, in fact, to know who is getting money from where and why and sort of parse that out to figure out, to read the tea leaves about what's happening politically in the area and the state, etc. So that's my preamble. Jim, you have been doing the yeoman's work here. Give me the, give me the goods. This year is a state and federal election year. So it's the statewide offices. It's the assembly. It's the, it's the Senate it happens to be governor this year. And then, you know, you've got, the federal offices are up for election in the House and uh, Schumer Senate seat. Um, I didn't look at the FEC. I didn't focus on the federal stuff whatsoever. Uh, we don't have candidates in those federal elections yet um, as far as like contenders. So it's tough to see, you know, there's no reason that to expect that Jacobs has done anything, for instance, to ramp up fundraising. Um, and those FEC filings are, are slightly different than the state filings. The state filing, though, there's the periodic January one that is due on January 15th. So today's the 23rd. It's a perfect time to look at it. Uh, so I, I just want to go over. I've got we'll do the uh, we'll do them in number order of what number the district is. And we'll start with the Senate, which means for locally, that means the 59th with Pat Gallivan. Senator Gallivan, the real chairman of the Erie County Republican Party. Oh, I thought we were going to start Correct. with one and go through every. Well, well, well that's that's the extended. That's <laughs> oh, for the Patreon oh, okay, only. Okay. Uh, that's for the real sickos. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, like I said, uh, the real Erie County Republican chair, Pat Gallivan. Um, and uh, uh, he actually amended his filing yesterday. So it's a good thing I had the flu last week and I couldn't check earlier or else I would have missed out on his filing. Um, he raised... $78,000 this last cycle, this last six months. And he, uh, and he ended up with like 115000 He spent uh, almost as much as he raised, which was a lot of money to spend in an off year. Now, he has a safe seat. You know, you could run a fucking dog, and as long as it's got an R next to his name, it'd probably win that Senate seat. Mm-hmm. And I hope next time they do. Right. Um, they already did. Yeah. As far as, like, independent individual donors, nothing really stuck out. as like, well, that, that's strange that that person would give money, or nobody gave anywhere near the limit yet. Um, as far as, like, corporations, New Wave Energy Company, which is located downtown, gave 3500 Now, I didn't see them on anybody else's filings, which is shocking to find a corporation that gave money to somebody locally and it wasn't Tim Kennedy and not anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But 3,500 puts them very close to the $5,000 limit that they have for. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they, if they do try to give any more money out this cycle, who they would possibly give it to if they're going to give 3,500 to Gallivan. Do you think that might be like a, like a friend or family connection? Could be. I mean, that, I mean, I mean that, we don't know, but that, I'm just guessing like somebody giving 3,500 randomly to Pat Galvin. Right. Feels- and, and nobody else. Right. Now, I mean, you know, they, they do get to do one of those things where like they buy, pro- but whatever. Um, now it's, it's, it's very interesting that they gave, that's why, that's why I noted that. Uh, unsurprisingly, he gets a lot of money from cop packs. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Not just like former the former sheriff getting money from the cops. Right. Not not just from the sheriff's PBA. Not just from the state troopers. Not just from the Buffalo PBA. But like Suffolk County and downstate, like their their PBAs are giving money to to the former sheriff, former state trooper Pat Gallivan. Suffolk County PBA, by the way, gives a lot of money. It, they do. They are huge, yes. huge political donors and and uh, and spenders of money. Only only note I have on Gallivan is just like an overall like he's he's a pretty savvy operator. You know, like he he's somebody who is very much like pro police and however you want to feel about that, whatever. But he never gets painted with the broad brush of like, I don't know, like he doesn't seem to get like that nailed to him or anything. It's never a negative. He he's not like the foaming at the mouth pro police but he's very much behind the scenes mm-hmm. <laughs> raising a ton of money for police and- well to that effect he gave 1550 this last cycle to garcia from the garcia for sheriff race mm-hmm. now garcia was along with howard they, they kind of they handpicked garcia to be the the, per, the person for it um the the most interesting thing that i saw in Gallivan's, um, I mentioned to you, the, you guys this before the show is that he is the only state rep who was reimbursing himself mileage out of his campaign account, which, as far as I can tell, isn't illegal. It's fucking weird, but it's not illegal. And he reimbursed himself in six months over twenty three hundred dollars, which is crazy because if he's reimbursed, he's being he's reimbursed for travel already by the state, right? By Correct. The state legislature. So this is just for political activity, mm-hmm. apparently. Like presumably, it is for driving to what. I mean, uh, driving out into the middle of fucking Genesee County, I guess, and then doing what? I don't know. But I mean, like $2,300 or $2, is a lot of driving. I know he's got a big district, mm-hmm. but what meetings is he going to that he is going to in his vehicle, right. not with a staffer, in their vehicle? This was, this was mileage to him. There were a couple other mileage checks to staffers. Maybe he just goes out for long drives thinking about <laughs> policy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got one of those... About- He's got one of those trucks from Mad Max where, like, the flames are uh, shooting out, and he's got the guy playing guitar on it. I mean, that takes a lot of gas. Right. Takes a lot of gas. Maybe he's got to get a whole new set of tires, like, every few miles. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. Maybe he's driving around plowing out people's driveways. <laughs> <laughs> Constituent services. I, I, I was thinking maybe it's like the Blues Brothers where he's got, like, a loudspeaker on top of the car. Oh. And he's like, tonight only, vote Pat Gallivan. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the 60th. That's, that's our buddy Sean Ryan. He had about two hundred twenty-two thousand on hand. He raised one hundred twenty-two thousand, which sounds like a lot of money until you get to Tim Kennedy, right? I will say that the uh, he, the a big note is that uh, he gave ECDC ten k in September. You know, they were looking around for money to help support Hardwick and Beatty. This is a way for him to support them more than once. He also spent like thirty-five hundred dollars on the campaign consultant in October, and a little over seven grand or seventy-one hundred in December for campaign consulting. He notably didn't have a campaign last year, so it does make you wonder whose campaign they were consulting on. They were yeah. consulting him how to, to how to dunk a basketball. He went to basketball camp and he learned how to, <laughs> to dunk a basketball. That's the consultation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm going to note it through each person whenever they gave money to their party or to one of their party's governors candidates. So he gave 250 to Hochul in August. It was after Cuomo announced that he was stepping down but before he actually resigned. It was in that two-week grace period there where when Cuomo gave his two weeks notice to New York State and everybody was like, just leave. 
I, I actually saw Sean Ryan the day that he gave that donation because it was this fundraiser that she had scheduled here before the resignation and her ascent into power. And uh, that fundraiser, like, they had to change venues twice because suddenly everyone wanted to go. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and Ryan, I, I saw him afterwards at a different fundraiser, and he said that it was pretty wild, that there were, there were it was crowded with people, there were, like, you know, anti-mask protesters, it was just, you know, there were people, like, lined up. It sounds like it was quite the scene. Now, we just said, like, now wait to hear Tim Kennedy. So we'll get to Tim Kennedy. Like I said, Sean Ryan had 222000 on hand. Pretty good. Tim Kennedy raised over 550000 this last cycle, putting him at $1.79 million on hand. Uh, in October, uh, an LLC gave him five grand. Now, it's interesting uh, uh, that you, you need to be able to figure out who from the LLC is specifically responsible for this money. Uh, it's from the Douglas Development Corporation in Washington, D.C. Mm. Gave him 5K. Pretty quickly gets you close towards uh, can't maxing out on, on donations. Yeah. But he didn't get a personal donation, so this count, kind of counts towards that. Yeah. And hold, Jeff, like, let me ask, like, why, why Tim Kennedy? Like, Tim Kennedy, he is the behemoth. He's the juggernaut of fundraising. Like, this fucking guy, like... Un, un like ungodly amounts of money for this level of political activity. What is it about Tim Kennedy? Why is he getting the juice? A couple of things. One is, uh, for one thing, he's got a staff member whose job is strictly this, fundraising. Like the, there's no other task. So that helps. If if you if you that if you commit your resources to doing the job, then the job gets done better. The other thing, but the real reason is, I think that uh, Kennedy has been in a close alliance with Byron Brown and with Crystal People Stokes. And those are two powerful allies to have if you're representing Western New York and Albany. So if downstate people feel they need to get something done or if they need the collaboration of what the Western New York political machine, Kennedy is an obvious choice. You know, grease him, get him on your side, mm-hmm. and he brings with him the very powerful Crystal People Stokes in the Assembly and City Hall in Buffalo. And so that that makes him shower money. Sean Ryan, A, has not been in the Senate as long as Kennedy, not by much, but but he hasn't been, he's not senior. And he also doesn't have quite those alliances. He's got his own power structure, certainly, but he's not Mm -hmm. a friend of the mayor's. He gets along fine with Crystal People Stokes, but they're not like, you know, they're not tied closely. He does. He just doesn't have as much juice as Kennedy has. Kennedy does do this stuff. Yes, he's got a staff member who does it, but he also makes these phone calls. He also does these things. You know, Kennedy is chair of transportation in the Senate, and he uses that if there's a bridge project in fucking like Rensselaer County, like he will go to that bridge with whoever, or if there's a Democratic senator to announce it, whoever represents it. So you know, maybe downstate, he'll go to that for that road or that bridge or whatever. He'll go to that press conference, but he'll tell them you're hosting a fundraiser for me tonight in that in that in your district, and so he'll get a fundraiser, and maybe he only makes. Ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars off of that fundraiser, but then he he keeps those contacts to himself, 
and he builds off of that. And, you know, and maybe he's a little bit of a sociopath and he doesn't mind doing the fundraising. I like pretty much most politicians hate doing the fundraising. And I think Tim doesn't mind it. Is, is there a precedent like for the, for this kind of um, this kind of fundraising or to have like a figure like Tim Kennedy? Because it feels like like, man, I, is there always like a juggernaut figure in the state Senate like Tim Kennedy or is Tim Kennedy like, sui generis here? Like, is he just his own thing? He, he, he is unique for upstate. I mean, now for downstate, like, you know, he's not he doesn't have the most money of anybody in the Senate. Right. You know, that, that might be Giannaris, who's got like eight and a half million dollars. Um. And he's a state senator. He also represents Queens. And there was rumors that he was going to be running for something this year statewide. Because why else would he come up to Buffalo for the India Walton uh, rally? Um, but he ended up not running for anything this year. Probably had Tish James stayed in the race for governor, there's a good chance he had been running for uh, attorney general. With Kennedy, the question is, so I mean, it's it's long been assumed... Uh, that he would like to be mayor of Buffalo, that he would be next. He's Again, he's now alive, Byron Brown, so he was never going to challenge Byron Brown in a primary, probably not, although with Tim Kennedy, al- alliances are made to be broken. <laughs> but maybe he doesn't want to be mayor because that's a tough job, a thankless job. The city is getting broker and broker. The problems are getting more and more intractable. Being a powerful state senator from Western New York, the last time we had a really powerful state senator, well, there, there's George Maziars for sure, mm-hmm. immensely powerful, but from Buffalo was Walter Mahoney in like the 50s and 60s, and he like just ran everything. Um, he was a Republican. Maybe that's what Tim Kennedy's goal is now, is to be that guy who controls the flow of downstate money into Western New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it can't be understated like these kingmaker figures. You know, Tony Massiello famously has been one just because he had so much money in his campaign account for years and years. Tim Kennedy is likely going to be the same way. Like even after he's done in the Senate, yes. I'm sure he will have money for years to come. Will support campaigns that you know you're going to get a lot of the same because they a lot of this money just gets plugged back into the same kind of people and it's just the cycle goes on but it's important to note that hey tim kennedy is the guy who he's got the juice he gets the grease and uh gets a ton of money so you want to go a little bit more and uh was there anything that jumped oh, out of you about his financial oh too? yeah um you know so it's interesting he gave in th- over a course of three separate donations to hokel since he's become governor eighty five hundred dollars a 5k a 2500 and a 1k interesting because you know this is where I, I lean into maybe you're, you're right, Jeff, that he wants to maybe just maybe, maybe that is what he wants to do is be a state senator as a power broker. He gave 6K to Tom Perez. Wow. Whoa. He gave 25K to the Democratic Senate uh, campaign committee, which makes sense. Tom Perez, reminder, was the head of the Democratic committee, National Democratic committee. Right. And running for mayor of, or governor of Maryland. Yes. Now, he did spend, interestingly enough, and he did say it was meals. $1,000 in one day at Hutch's. Now, when you've got almost $2 million. So he just had the, like the soup course? Yeah. Is that all? <laughs> right. Pork chop, pork belly? It was actually, it was two separate expenditures. It was a three fifty and a six fifty dollars uh, for $1,000. And then I just mentioned how Sean Ryan spent, you know, like $10,000 on campaign consultants over two expenditures, even though he wasn't running a campaign. Tim Kennedy spent... Thirty-five, almost thirty-six thousand dollars in two expenditures for campaign campaign consultants last year, and again, he noticeably was not running a campaign. Hmm. Interesting. 
all this money being spent by surrogates on some campaign, some major campaign right, it's, that it's, unfolded last year <laughs> in the Western New York region. What campaign commanded a lot of attention and outside expenditures? And that these two are on opposite hmm, sides. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the 63rd. Uh, Ree's favorite, Ed Rath. Love him. Can't get enough. Give me, give me the Rath, baby. He raised $72,000. He ended up with a little over $100,000 on hand. So he's got the least amount of money of any of the state senators around here. A fair amount. Not a, it's not a fair amount, but like noticeably he got like three donations from his mom. Like his, his mom's still helping him out. <laughs> okay, why not? I love, I love the idea of like the state senator fail son. <laughs> it's just like. Wouldn't uh, you expect something from your mom if you were running? <laughs> hey, listen, man. Well, you it's, know, it's but, but would you deposit the check? Wouldn't you be like, wouldn't you be like, like, okay, mom, thanks. Yeah, thank I you. know, thanks. Yeah. Right. But you just put that, you just put that check in your like glove box, yeah. and you don't ever. Yeah. Uh, come on, mm-hmm. that's your mom's money, right? He uh, maybe she expects something back for it. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, What's your say, Jim? Uh, Early money is for access money. Access money and late money is for good government. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's still trying to get access. I'm trying to get access. Um, uh, no, I mean, his filing was pretty boring. Like, the main thing I would note is that more than any of the other ones that we I'll talk about, that have talked about or will talk about, he had more unitemized filings than anybody, which is like a kind of a pet peeve of mine because, especially nowadays, because everything's electronic, so it's so easy to just not just not, actually not just keep track of everything, but just like to fucking import the file that you're from Excel. Yeah, so it's just laziness. It's it's like a weird laziness where you're like if you learn how to import files, it actually would save you time. So they're probably still doing these manually in the Edrath office, and uh, then they're just lazy about it. They're they're, try, they're trying to learn how to save PDFs in Edrath's office. <laughs> right, they're, they're, they're buying up NFTs with their campaign. They're money. still yeah. trying to print it out and figure out how to send that print out back in the email. Oh right, yeah, yeah, that's tough. And it's not like if you itemize uh, expenditures that you need to tell the truth about them. Right. You can still like shade it any way you'd like. If, if there's something embarrassing, like you're paying for, I don't know, a subscription you'd rather not the, the public not know about, mm-hmm. you can, you know, you don't have to be that specific, but you can still itemize. You're a right. Patreon subscriber to the Square Podcast. Right. You don't want to, <laughs> yeah. you might, you don't want the people to know. <laughs> Thank you, Ed Rath. Right. Thank you, Ed Rath. That's exactly what I was talking right. about. Right. Well, well, that's the thing is like, and it's, and he's got all these unitem, or he's got a bunch of unitemized things. And it's not like everything that was under $99 on it was unitemized. No, that's not the case. So it's just like, it's laziness and probably shitty record keeping. Mm. Uh, that's okay because no one's really watching. Right. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk about the assembly. Uh, our friend, we're up in Ken Morso, our local boy here, Bill Conrad in the 140th. He had about $18,000 in hand. Uh, he gave Hoko a grand in December. Seems it, like a lot to give uh, for a state assembly member to give. It's a, especially if you only have 18. Especially grand. if you only have 18. Yeah. We're going to talk about some people who've got some you know, more money, real money in the state assembly. And they gave Kathy Hoko a thousand dollars or more. But if you only have $18,000 giving like 5% of your campaign account away is a big deal. And he only got up to $18,000 because in January, IBEW gave him a grand and Zellner gave him 2000 to top him off again. Yeah. Basically to get him back up over where he was. Um, so that he'd have more of time of the filing than when he had the beginning is, is, now, now help me out here. Is Bill Conrad? Is he not like a f- 
obviously it's not a fundraising maven, but is it the district not being one where, you know, you need to grease the wheels on it too much? Or is it just that, you know, it's an assembly seat. It doesn't matter. You're, once you're in, you're in. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got an assembly seat. And of the seats in the area that Republicans might target to take over, he's probably lowest on the totem pole. Yeah. It'll probably go Burke, Wallace, like Tide, then McMahon, then him. Got it. Yeah, I think that's right. Oh, boy. All right. Let's talk about Crystal. Let's talk about Crystal. She raised 165000 so she had about $260,000 on hand. Fair amount of money. Yep. She is also, by the way, there's a uh, independent expenditure pack associated with her that was formed this past summer uh, called, I'm now forgetting what it's called, shoot, Equity Pack, mm. Equity Pack, uh, and it is uh, run by Crystal Rodriguez, who works at Bus State, used to, be, uh, used to work in City Hall for Byron Brown. Uh, her husband is Philip Dabney, who's now a new city court judge. And Equity Pack is basically going to be spending money on making sure that the adult use cannabis program that Crystal People Stokes helped usher through reflects her priorities, I guess, um, which is to say, you know, equity for populations most affected by anti-cannabis laws. So people are giving money to that too, and that is also spending money. Mm-hmm. There's a report this cycle for it. So, so that kind of like, ties into crystal people's right because she, she's she's in control of that well crystals or crystals so she got four thousand dollars from delaware north mm. interesting it's i wonder if that has any impact on the bill's negotiation certainly um <laughs> but her filings are a fucking mess are they all right on october 22nd she has listed as a donation from a corporate source on Schedule C, $34,262.37 from rich catering and special events. What? She had a, a, an event there. That was her cost. It's also listed as a cost in her same filing. Ah. Uh, but they- So it's tough to know how much money did she actually raise because it says she raised $165,000. It's going to count that $34,000 that she got from riches. As an in-kind? But it... It doesn't say that. Though. It doesn't say that. Oh. And that's too much for an in-kind. It's way too much. Right. She, and then, then there's also, uh, I have a real, real concern about, November 1st, she had a $1,600, it was a little over $1,600, uh, quote, quote, office expense for a hotel in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And there was, a, oh, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And there ding. was additional charges that week in San Juan. Oh no! This sounds, this sounds like a state senator I used to know, Antoine Thompson. Yes, oh. he also he also took off to the Caribbean, right? And right, on, uh, and, and this was I mean, short, campaign money. I short, think. Shortly after, uh, you know, there was you know now there was plane ticket expenses that so there was travel, and she is you know majority leader of, the, of New York State Assembly. It's uh, it's it's perfectly reasonable for her to travel for her position and even to travel to puerto rico even sure. to travel to puerto rico that makes, that makes more sense than traveling to, to say for example the cayman islands right or you know right Barbados. but and, and i'm not saying that the hotel expenses weren't legitimate they you know she could have been as majority leader in puerto rico with other members of the assembly for a conference. For a conference for a legitimate expense. It's not an office expense. It's a, And the other expenses for the hotel and the, 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 all, that all said listed as office expenses for 
in San Juan that week. None of that's not what those are. It's it, but, it, but here's the thing. It, so, it, this gets back to what you said earlier with the Occam's razor. Like the the simplest answer is incompetence. Here's the thing. If you if you so let's let's just assume that this is all legitimate. There's a conference and a bunch of people go. A bunch of assembly members, maybe a few state senators, who knows, go and and you know there's. There are things, there are meetings, but there's also you're in San Juan, so very nice. What if you're poor Bill Conrad, and you and like Crystal People Stokes is like, hey, so there's this conference, and you should come. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're all just paying for it out of our campaign accounts. And Bill <laughs> Conrad's like, oh, <laughs> I don't. I would, but I just gave a thousand dollars to Kathy Hochul. And that's right, pretty much. You, my you walk, all have fun, that's though. Pretty right. much my walking around money for the month. You guys have a good time. <laughs> <You> guys, <laughs> what about the poor assembly members who don't raise enough right. money? Well, and uh, Jim, like, all right, help me out here because look, obviously, Crystal, um, you know, Crystal Peoples is somebody who has a lot of cachet. Like, clearly, like one of the most powerful uh, members of the state assembly. Um, obviously, with the cannabis. You know, with Marta pushing everything through, I mean, she was really very much the straw that stirred the drink on that. Is it unusual to see then, like, somebody so powerful having, like, such poor financial campaign management? Is this commonplace? Or is I, this, like, it's kind of commonplace. I wish it was more less commonplace in New York State, but, you know, like, you know, as Jeff has alluded to a couple of times, it really doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know, like, nobody, like, Nobody complains. People can listen to this podcast and listen to me whine about it. And, you know, maybe Crystal will go in and amend her filing and, and it won't say office expense, please. I mean, it, it reminded me of, it was like 10 years ago uh, when the Republicans unexpectedly held the Senate and Mike Ranshoffers, whoever it was, was doing his campaign finance, like they he paid for a hotel for his staffers in Albany and they listed the expense as YOLO. <laughs> come on come on come on maybe it stands for something different than we think it does yeah that rules that's so good so i mean like if you're gonna make a total mockery of it just, right yeah just so, go for it right so like it, the the thing is like is nobody care like it, it like like if somebody calls her on it, she'll be like, "Oh, uh, must have been a mistake. We'll make sure we get it edited, and they'll do an amended return, and nothing's going to happen." Well, you know, in uh, in uh, his column this week at Politics and Stuff, Ken Cruley at politicsandstuff.com, dot com, you know, he he ran through some of the campaign finance numbers, and they included this email exchange he had with the Board of Elections at the end of his column because he wanted to know, you know, there's some people who haven't filed. Do you guys ever do anything about this? Do you ever enforce? You know, the campaign finance election laws. And uh, the response back was basically, well, that's, you know, that, that's the division of enforcement. They deal with that. And and he's like, okay, division of your de <laughs> department who I'm talking to. Okay, but yeah. so, so do they ever do anything? And he said, well, you know, we don't keep a public record of enforcement actions, uh, fines levied or anything like that. Um, you could, if you wanted to, foil for individual uh, individual candidates, their committees, and see if they've been. And it's just, and it's it's always like this with the board of elections. You know, the, there was a guy, Mike Rizzo. You may be familiar with Mike Rizzo. So he he filed a complaint with the board of elections this past election cycle about Byron Brown's campaign, saying like, listen, they're not they're taking money from not for profits who have no business giving money. They are taking 
more than they're taking more than the contribution limits allow from certain people, and they're not identifying the uh, the owners of LLCs, which you're supposed to do under state law. And so he filed this, and as Rizzo does, you know, he's got it pretty well documented. It's a whole package. He just hands it over to them, says, "Here's your investigation." You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. He got an acknowledgement from the Division of Enforcement that it had been received. I checked later to say, to, to ask, like, so is there an investigation? What, is, what happens now? And what the Board of Elections spokesman told me was, that's Division of Enforcement. And I was like, <laughs> yes, a division of the Board of Elections. And they, he said, they don't tell us either. He said, they'll usually acknowledge to the complainant that the complaint has been received. They will not say if there's an investigation. They will not say what if there is an investigation. They won't tell you necessarily when it's concluded or what the results were. And the Board of Elections spokesman had would have me believe that that is how the Division of Enforcement treats them too. Just like this Kafka-esque black hole. <laughs> yeah. We know more about the men in black than we do about the Division of Enforcement. And <laughs> anytime you've seen, almost, anytime you have seen... Uh, candidates in New York State, Western New York, throughout the state, dinged for some violation of campaign election law, campaign finance election law. It has to do with an investigation started by some other law enforcement body, and the can- and the board of elections is dragged into it. They don't; they're not the ones initiating it. They're not oh. the reason that George Maziar has gotten trouble for misuse of campaign funds, or Brian Davis, or anybody oh. else. It was some other law enforcement agency. Do we know, I mean, now that we're talking about it, do we know who's the head of the enforcement? Like, this seems to be clearly an ongoing issue, or by ongoing issue, I mean nobody gives it's, a it's, shit. But it's, it's Thomas Pinchon. Thomas. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Might as well be. Fuck. Jesus. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, so that's that's all I have to say about crystals is, is please go amend your re- report and don't say... Office expenses for a hotel in San Juan. Just See, put YOLO. Put YOLO. <laughs> put YOLO. It worked for Ranzel Hoffer. Right, 142nd, it's Burke. Um, he raised 22000 That left him with 62000 in his pocket. Now, I know when he proposed his much derided COVID thing, there were some people on Twitter who were like, oh, he's just in the pocket of insurance agencies. He had one donation for like $100 on Schedule B, and it wasn't from an insurance company. He's definitely not in the pocket of uh, big money. He actually, more so than anybody else, most of uh, his, a large percentage of his donations came from small donors. He's, he's really doing that. So uh, he's the anti-Kennedy. He's basically, the, yeah, he's the anti-Kennedy. Uh, he, he donated, oh, by the way, because uh, uh, as I'm mentioning this, um, Conrad gave Hoko money. Crystal did not. Mm. Burke gave Hoko money. He gave her a whopping fifty dollars, which is which is more of like that's like giving somebody a quarter, like actual change as a tip when you go out to a restaurant. <laughs> um, it's a, it's I noted that's half what he gave to Randy Hoke. <laughs> I think Randy needed it more. Yeah, I, yeah. That, that's just a sidebar on that, Jim. It's a little interesting that you identified his seat as one that could be, you know, up for grabs or that, that they could be vying for the it's Republicans on the list. Yeah. yeah, right. So what's weird to me is like, why wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be currying the governor's favor on that? Or is well, it just I mean, something where uh, realistically, I mean, with redistricting, yeah. he's probably more interested in the speaker and the majority leader's favor. 
And, he has the and, and his district, as in many districts in Western New York, having the governor on your side is not necessarily a good thing. His, right. his problem is that it's a district that is very is purple, and uh, and the people who are lending the red to that are very very anti mm-hmm. anti Cuomo, and there will be anti Hochul too. Not all of them, because you know he's got some of the, that her native ground there. Right, but. No, I mean he's got he's got the most purple district in the area. If I'm DAC, Democratic Assembly Campaign Committee, I'm looking at his filing and going, we are going to be spending a ton of money in that that district yeah. this year. Speaking of somebody who's also always being challenged, uh, Monica Wallace, she raised a little over fifty one thousand, so she has over a hundred thousand dollars in the bank now, uh, which is her best filing that she's ever had. That's not in a non election year, but other than that, her filing was pretty boring. You know, I don't know she's she raised some money spent some money nothing was real crazy uh, her filings look clean uh, much to my disappointment there was nothing fun there now for for burke and wallace again two seats that you know are going to be hotly contested um is the fundraising on par with what you'd expect for like for seats that are going to be you know under they're, they're going to be they're hot basically uh, like I mean, is, is the fundraising matching the level of what you expect or is it well this is this is wallace's like best off cycle fundraising yeah fifty one thousand is pretty good for her um and she didn't really spend anything like i said she raised fifty one thousand that put her up to 102 i would say that you know you have to objectively say that burke's twenty two thousand is disappointing yeah he's because he is going to get a vigorous challenge you know joe larigo possibly right is, is uh going to challenge him for that seat and he'll come with you know all the financial and political weight of the Republican and conservative parties. Uh-huh. So he won't have any problem raising money. All right, let's talk about everybody's favorite, Mike Norris. Mm, love him. Can't get enough. He raised 62000 so he's got about 184000 in the bank. Where's his district, by the way? It's like Amherst, Newstead, Niagara County. Okay. Um, so we're only covering people who have some of Erie County for the Assembly, uh, Senate Districts. He he has one of uh, Jeff knows this is one of my pet peeves, uh, an unitemized dump. As much as I dislike the regular unitemized, where you're like, oh, I spent forty dollars here, but I'm not going to tell you what I did with it. He had a, a dump at, on January fourteenth that was like over seven thousand dollars, and just said oh, it was just unitemized. <laughs> so that means that all the expenditures in there have to be ninety nine dollars or less. But again, that means somebody is manually putting this in as opposed to just transferring files or and. and uh, sending them over, and and they were like, eh, "Fuck it, we're not going to keep track of all this stuff." Mike Norris, who is at the heart of the investigation into George Maziar's for misuse of campaign funds, and he just can't even like he he ended up taking like three immunity deals, and I think to testify against his old boss, and and he still can't just take the time to. The, the worst thing that he's got on his campaign finance is that he has on Schedule B, which is where corporation money is, is he's got a $99 unitemized. You can't do that with the corporations. Just lie and put it on Schedule A. Don't put it on Schedule B because corporations are beholden to a $5,000 limit to all candidates. You know it's from a corporation. You knew enough that it was from a corporation, so you know who it's from. Don't put it on unitemized. Don't, you, don't put $99 unitemized. Yeah, these campaign finance rules, by the way, it feels very much like the whose line is it anyway of like <laughs> the rules are made up and the points don't matter um, unless uh, unless apparently you do get digged for it, like uh, a Maziar's mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it's it's so fascinating to me, like how much 
people really don't give a shit, but every once in a while, somebody just gets completely dragged. I, right. I it, it's fascinating. Right. Well, you know, in the cases of Maziar's and, and former common council member, Brian Davis, like, so they end up getting dinged for the misuse of campaign funds. But it's kind of like like getting Al Capone for for not paying taxes. That's not really why they're the focus of investigations. Mm-hmm. The 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 things that they were being looked at for were much bigger than that. But that's what they could get them on. Mm-hmm. You know. All right, let's talk about Angelo Morinello. Can't talk enough about him. That, well, we're done. He didn't file. So. Oh, oh, all right. <laughs> Uh, nothing to see here. Literally nothing to see here. Literally nothing to see here. Uh, at 146, Karen McMahon, she raised $8,075. Fucking Tim Kennedy shits that out before he has a coffee. Yeah, yeah he does. <laughs> uh, luckily, she spent pretty much nothing. She had $59,000 on hand. She did give Kathy Hochul $1,000 in, de- in December. So you think Bill Conrad, who you know raised like twelve grand and gave one twelfth of that away, she only raised eight grand. I was like, I guess you get some of this, Kathy. It's that's another district where I hope Dak is ready to spend some money. Mm. I mean, yeah. What, what's the district, Jim, for the listeners who? It's pretty much know. Amherst. It's Amherst. Okay, so Amherst. It's going to be a dogfight out there. You're thinking? Uh, I mean, depending on who the candidate is. Yeah, that's the thing. It depends on who the Republicans line up. Right. It, it could be if they find someone good, someone with a pop with popular appeal, and who is not. Uh, stained by uh, too much Trumpism, you know it's increasingly democratic out there. The enrollment keeps growing, right? But uh, but it's still it's it's nothing like a safe district. No, no. I mean, it, it, Dak has pumped money into that district in the past. Uh, I mean, this was Ray Walters' district at one point. Yeah, Ray Walter. Wow. There's a name. Uh, judge, Judge Ray, Judge Walter. Judge, Walter. Judge Ray Walter. My my apologies, Judge. Uh, so let's get to the 147th. Crazy Dave DiPietro. <laughs> now, he's, he's so crazy. That's the cheese on your vegetables. Right <laughs> it's, he, yeah. He's so crazy, he didn't file in January, but for some fucking reason, he filed off-cycle in December when you don't have to file. Yeah. And I'm assuming he's just like, that's close enough. <laughs> so he filed December... It, and he filed in December when you don't have to, and he had to amend it and fit and change it and fix it. <laughs> it I have, my note says this insane clown has one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars as of December. One hundred twenty-seven is that is that a lot for Dave? We think, or is it just? I like- mean, for somebody who is an incredibly safe seat, who is a, a like whack job, like it's it, it. I he gets money from other crazy people, but yes. it's it's hard to. Like he is impossible to keep on any subject or stay on any subject because he's just so fucking insane. And his district is safe. He, maybe it doesn't feel to him or to to his supporters as safe as it actually is because the village of East Aurora, the enrollment is trending Democratic a little bit, and so there there have been like sort of hotbeds of of anti-DPHO activity in the village of East Aurora. Like, we're going to get around a candidate. We're going to, like, support him. And because it's in the village, it's very visible, and it sounds like these these people feel like they've got a lot of support. But then when it comes to election day, the rest of the district just sort of, like, pours in right. Republican votes. And, and it's just in the district there are a few sort of concentrations of Democrats. There are some in the village of East Aurora, and then you can go down further south into like villages like Evans and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, there's a lot of voters 
who are going to vote for whoever's Republican. So do, do we, that's a lot of money for DPH, right? He doesn't need it. Yeah, he doesn't need it. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I mentioned it to you guys off the air earlier. He got about $200 from Mickey Kearns personally, plus $100 from Mickey Kearns' campaign account. Arizona Democrats can censor cinema for her nonsense, but EC Dems just look at Mickey Kearns and go, ah, what can you do? Boys will be boys, as, mm. he, as he's giving money to the probably the craziest, most conservative Republican in the area. Oh. One of the donations, and, and I, uh, you know what, Rob Galbraith, I need you to, I need your help on this. I need you to look channeling at Rob. I need Rob Cat to help Rob. DiPietro got two hundred dollars from Central Baptist Christian School in Yorkshire. Now I'm not sure <laughs> if private schools can give money to political campaigns. Central Baptist, what? Central Baptist <laughs> Christian School in Yorkshire, New York, and Delavan. Well, I'm not familiar with the institution. I have to. I'm ashamed to admit. But if it's a religious school, if it's a school tied to some church, I I think they probably can't. I, that's my thought. And they are. I mean, they're, 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 there's the Christian Baptist Church right there mm. that they're part of, like they're, they're with. I don't think they can because they're part of a church. Uh, I assume that if they receive money from the state or any kind of federal assistance for any of the education they're receiving, they can't give money to political campaigns. Right. It, it was it was only $200. If I was Dave DiPietro, I wouldn't have reported that and just gave it back and be like, please don't. Yeah. Like, thank you, but I have more money than I need for my account, for my campaign account, for my safe, 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 safe district, and you're going to get yourselves in trouble. It's almost like, it's almost like if people looked into that sort of thing, like... I, for me it's not that individual donation it's more of like if you're accepting that one what else are you accepting Mm -hmm. that maybe needs to be looked at a little closer the other thing that needs to be looked at closer is um most of his business donations and i'm the vast majority all have the exact same address they have different names but they're all sweet 700 at 295 main street that is carl paladino Hey. hey And then so now that's that's the last Republican we're going to talk about. We've only got one more assembly person to talk about. And as I kept bringing up, this Democrat gave to Hochul. This Democrat gave to Hochul. I don't know if you guys did notice, but literally no Republicans gave any money to Lee Zeldin running for governor. Oh, ah. So they might be out there saying the right things with former Erie County Chairman Nick Langworthy, current state Republican chairman, saying like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to rally around Lee Zeldin and we're going to return the Republicans to the governor's office. But clearly they do not believe he's got a chance in hell because they're not, they want to give him one red cent. Nobody believes in the legend of Zeldin? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Geez. I think we got a new shirt yeah, Legend of yeah. Zeldin. Yeah. Legend of Zeldin. <laughs> yeah, make a golden fortune on that. <laughs> uh, last person up is John Rivera. He has about $18,000 on hand, which just like his similar uh, freshman counterpart, Bill Conrad, uh, they bought the same amount. Other than that, you know what? Good work, John. Your report was really boring. I I kind of fell asleep reading it. Like there's there was nothing bad in there. There was nothing. You know, every everything was itemized. Uh, everything made sense. You know, That's someone who knows how to work a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Former bank manager, there right go. there. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. There was there was nothing questionable uh, there. There was no YOLO expenses or anything like that. Yeah. No. I mean. John, savvy guy. He uh, yeah. obviously, you know, comes from political family who had their political operations always been pretty tight. Uh, Dave Rivera and John seems to be just smoothly chugging along. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he's filled out a lot of campaign finance reports for other candidates right. too. I think so. He, yep. kn- yeah, he knows how to do it. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? And if you're if you're somebody like who's in a pretty safe district, like John, or potentially DiPietro, one of the only things that could harm you would be if you if somebody actually took the, and ran with this and got you in trouble with these because you might lose a primary over it. Well, you're not going to lose a general election. Mm-hmm. Somebody might pick on you for a primary for being like, well, like we can't we can't trust this person because of this. Because yeah, because of something in their filings, or for not filing. We're, we're actually running a piece uh, at Investigative Post this week. It's just a short little thing noting who in Buffalo's Common Council did and didn't file, who hasn't filed for, mm-hmm. and actually Dave Rivera, who's generally pretty good about this, seems to have skipped 2021 entirely. Didn't file uh january or july filings last year and i haven't seen the january filing yet this year it could be that it's just delayed going up online two council members haven't filed since 2019 rashid wyatt and ulysses wingo haven't filed since the last time they were on the ballot you know and and, you know it now it's unless something's changed which it's been a while since i was a treasurer for a campaign Mm -hmm. uh, unless something's changed if they tell you that they don't know and, and oh any correspondence must have gone to my treasurer that's bullshit because on the campaign when you start the campaign the email address for the candidate goes in there as well and they and the state board of elections will reach out to the candidate to say so you know your treasurer has done this and fucked this up or not done this yeah yeah so, spo- yeah you, the- so the, it's not like you you can't be a candidate and be like Four years later, you're like, what do you mean you, that person never filed? I was just trusting them to do it. No, you, they, they reach out to you and let you know that, that nothing's happening. No, the candidate has prime responsibility. The treasurer is, you designate a treasurer because you have to, but also just to sort of share that responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not that it doesn't alleviate. So, yeah, those, the, the, other, the other council members seem largely to be in compliance, but those, those particularly those two, Wingo and Wyatt, are really kind of a... Mm-hmm. Dro- have been dropping the ball for the last two years. That means Wyatt is behind at least nine, possibly ten filings. Uh, Wingo is behind at least five and po- probably six. Just seems like something you got to just do. They don't give a shit. Even if even <laughs> even care. even if you just file a no activity statement, which is a perfect perfectly legitimate thing to do, mm-hmm. and probably in their case, totally honest. Right. They they haven't been fundraising or spending money. I don't think. You know, in any significant way, maybe they have been, but uh, but you can just file no activity statements. Mm-hmm. It just takes a second, right? No, it's it's the no activity statements are very easy to do. do. Um, now, I, so I didn't get a chance to really look into anybody else's. Um, if there, if you're listening and you're like, hey, what about this person? You you had a specific person you want me to look up? Uh, hit us up on Twitter, and uh, I'll take a look. I'm feeling a lot better this week. No activity statement is what I thought I did on Saturdays. <laughs> hey yo, got one in. Um, well, this this has been some delicious vegetables, friends. This has been good stuff. You know, it really rounds out the meal, makes you feel just better about yourself. So, got your fiber, got your fiber. Lots you know, fiber. keep your regular. Uh, that's what we do here. We keep you regular. So, hey, thanks for listening, Jeff. Thanks for being on. Um, oh, one one last thing we forgot to mention: Tom Precious from the Buffalo News, right? right. Oh, farewell, Tom Precious. Farewell, farewell, Tom Precious, and good luck to him. I think he's re- I think he's got some health issues, so oh. that's part of the reason he's retiring uh, to deal with those. But hopefully, uh, he'll be 
back in some capacity. Right. For sure. For sure. Very solid reporter for the Buffalo News in Albany mm-hmm. low these many years. Yes. For sure. So, yeah, shout out to Tom Precious. And, yeah, Jeff, thanks again for joining us, man. We always love to have you. Like I said, you know, we're going to get you the punch card at this point. Um, always, a pl- always. again, I say this every time you're on here, but I am a little starstruck each time we have you on because it's Jeff Kelly. He's here on our podcast. It's so cool. So, Jeff, coming up with the investigative post, um, which you can follow at iPostNews. At, on Twitter, on at iPostNews, uh, or investigativepost.org, and uh, check in every day, because we now are putting up new, shorter stories every day, daily post. Uh, but we also have, of course, longer longer sort of explainers and investigative pieces. This week, I've got a series of pieces about the nascent campaign to attach a community benefits agreement to whatever deal is unveiled for a new Bill Stadium. Um, and we'll see where that goes. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Please do whatever you can, folks, to support Investigative Post. Honestly, like. I'm a monthly contributor. Yeah. You should well, be I too. Thank you very yes. much. Yeah. yeah. It's you, cheap, cheaper you than also, Netflix. You also made me a nice cup of coffee. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> That's contribution enough. Oh. No so, yeah, honestly, like, keep supporting independent journalism in, in Western New York. And also us. I mean, you could give us sure. money too if you want. We're we're never going to say no to that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, definitely give uh, you know your your little your little pesos to to Jeff and and the folks over at iPost. But I think that's a wrap, guys. Um, yeah, go. We're recording this in the past here. If you're listening, so hopefully our beloved Buffalo Bills will be hosting a home playoff game. If not, they can move. Fuck them with no stadium. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> We'll build them a stadium in Albuquerque. <laughs> yes, that's right. And if they win, I'll record something after the fact. <laughs> right. Well, that's like, a, we, like we knew it the whole time. We, we knew the whole time. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks again, Jeff. Right. My pleasure.